good morning. I guess we'll have to say where two or three are gathered this morning, right? Uh, a few more than that, but uh, uh, I'm grateful that uh, the, the number here does not depend, uh, or God's blessing does not depend on the number here, and we can be assured of that. It looks like uh, you've given me lots of time this morning. Um, I, uh, I, I want to ask you to pray for me especially. I, I have a bit of a sinus drip, and that uh, comes down to my throat and aggravates my throat and makes me want to cough. And so I'm just asking that you pray. In fact, let's just bow our heads. And would you pray that the Lord could eliminate that difficulty for me as I preach to you this morning. Let's pray. Thank you. I want to turn to three passages of scripture that would introduce my subject to you this morning. And uh, if I don't get past these three passages, it's okay. Uh, but uh, I, I hope to be able to share a few things uh, after these passages. But the first passage that I'd like to look to is, uh, is Mark chapter 2. So if you would turn to Mark chapter 2 and verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'm going to re begin by reading this passage uh, uh, first of all. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. <clears throat> and straightway many gathered together, inasmuch that there were, was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man, this man, thus speak? Blasphemies. Who can forgive sins but God only? Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? 
whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion. Note three things in the introduction to this passage. All three of the synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record this happening. So it, it must have been a rather significant account. Being once in uh, one, if there's one account in the scripture, that is significant as well. But, but uh, when it's repeated three times in the, in the Hebrew uh, culture, repetition meant uh, giving a sense of importance to something. This account took place in the early period of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. This is an account of Jesus healing a man that it refers to as being sick of the palsy. This means the, that, the, the, that the man was a paralytic. There are two kinds of um, para paralytics. One is when one is paralyzed from the waist down and can't walk or move his legs. Then there's the more severe kind of paralysis that is from the neck down. This, is, uh, this, this causes a man to be, uh, uh, usually this is the result of a broken neck and uh, it often causes this kind of uh, palsy or paralysis. Joni Erickson was an example of this kind of paralysis. I suspect that this man in this passage had this kind of condition where he was paralyzed from the neck down. He couldn't move his hands. He couldn't move his, uh, his feet. He was, he was totally paralyzed. He was totally helpless. A very, very serious condition. Note some of the uh, unique details in this story and this account. Note, note what it took to get the paralytic 
to Jesus. The house was packed with people, and uh, the, the door, there must have been one door to the house, and it was jam-packed, and nobody gave way, when, and, and they couldn't enter through the door. So in, in, their, in their desperation, the men who carried this uh, paralyzed man in, in a cot, in their desperation, they, uh, they, they went to the roof. And I imagine that uh, the roof was rather flat and was probably covered with tile. And so they began to remove the tile from the roof until they had an opening big enough and that, that they could let this cot down right in front of Jesus. And so they did. And so they, they, they dropped this man down uh, with rope, evidently, on the four corners of the cot and dropped it down right in front of Jesus. Jesus had an interesting first response to, uh, to, to this. It says he looked at them, which I believe meant he looked at the four men who, who brought the cot and, and, and uh, went to the work, the, the, the effort of, of digging up the roof and, and dropping this man right in front of them. He, he looked unto, unto them and recognized their faith. And then uh, Jesus had an unusual response, his first response to the man that was laying on the cot, totally paralyzed. He looked at the man on the cot, and there he saw a totally paralyzed man. So he reached out his hand. No, he didn't. He's, he, he saw a man with a greater need. And so he said to the man, Son, thy sins are forgiven thee. So Jesus dealt with the greater need first before he was going to deal with his lesser need, which was the healing of his paralysis. Does that say anything to you and I about the, the seriousness, the importance of the forgiveness of sins. He said, son, thy sins, all of thy sins of the past are forgiven. It's, it's possible that the reason for his paralysis was because of his sinful lifestyle. We don't know, but it's very possible. 
But nevertheless, he dealt with the greater need that the man had, first of all. There was a, an immediate response by the scribes. Oh, they didn't say anything, but they were thinking. The text says they reasoned in their hearts, and, that, that, and they were thinking. They thought these thoughts. They never spoke them out loud. They thought this, these thoughts. This man speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God? And they were implying that they, that, that they understood that this was just a man. Jesus turned to them and said, Why, what are you thinking about? Why are you thinking, the reasoning with these things in your heart? Somewhat disconcerting, isn't it? <laughs> that in the presence of Jesus, you think something, and he, he knows what you're thinking. At least he did in this, in this, in this account. See, they had, they had one thing right, that only God can forgive sins. But they didn't understand that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh. Then Jesus said to them, whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Which is easier? And then he said unto the sick of the palsy, paralyzed man, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately, immediately, life flowed back into his paralyzed body, and he got off of the cot, arose, folded the cot, and this time they made way for him out the door. Jesus had said to the Pharisees, to the, the scribes they had gathered there, that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I'm going to demonstrate that by having this man rise and take up his body, bed and walk. Jesus has power on earth to forgive sins. The, the word power is not dunamis, which, which means uh, dynamic power, but the word really is authority. You might know that the Son of Man 
has authority. Authority before God the Father. Authority given to him by God the Father. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Can you rejoice in that fact this morning? That there is one, there is the Son of Man, there is Jesus, the, the Lord of glory that is able to say to you, son, daughter, all of your sins from the past are forgiven you. What an amazing account. What an amazing confrontation. What an amazing revelation this brought to the people. They were astonished. When was the last time that you were astonished? Astonished especially that that God can forgive your sins. Astonish that holy God can forgive all the sins of your past. They shook their heads and said, I've never seen this kind of thing. The second passage of scripture that I'd like to refer to is in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Let me read it. Jesus went unto the sermon of on the Mount of Olives. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. My bifocals want to play tricks on me this morning. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This, they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him, they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you especially referring to the scribes and Pharisees. 
the elite of the richest people of Israel. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and rode on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted of their own conscience, went out one by one. And these were the scribes and the Pharisees. Beginning at the eldest, is that significant? Even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, this, uh, this account, this incident took place during about the middle of Jesus' uh, three years of ministry. Jesus was in Jerusalem at this particular point, teaching in the temple probably in the area referred to as Solomon's Porch, uh, which is an area along the outer circumference of the temple area, especially on the eastern side of the temple court. Had a roof over it with pillars holding up the roof. It's an area where uh, teachers often taught because it, it could accommodate large groups of people. This account of the woman caught in the act of adultery is full of intense, excuse me, is full of intense emotions and high drama. Timothy, Timothy Jennings, in his book, The God-Shaped Brain, gave me, recently gave me insight into the unique dialogue Jesus had with a woman at the, at the end of this story. It's early morning, and the scribe and Pharisees came to Jesus, bringing a woman they caught in the very act of adultery. My question is this, first of all, that if they caught her in the very act of adultery, why didn't they bring the man along? Curious. One of the things you want to understand about bringing this woman who was caught in the act of adultery by the scribes and Pharisees is they were not bringing this woman to Jesus so that he could help her. That was not their, their intent. But they, they brought her and they thought 
they had an airtight case. Dennis, what is an airtight case? It, it's irrefutable, right? The evidence is, is, uh, is there. They thought they had an airtight case with which they could discredit Jesus for who he claimed to be. After they uh, told, asked Jesus what he, what, what, what he would recommend to do in view of what the law says should be done, Jesus did a very unexpected thing. He has a way of doing that. He ignored their question and stooped down and started writing in the dust of the pavement uh, where they were gathered. What do you think he wrote? But after he had written some, he stood up and said, now, whoever is of you, scribes and Pharisees, are without sin. You, you throw the first stone. And he stooped back down and kept writing. What do you think he wrote? Did he write the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. It's very possible. In fact, I, I always suspected that's what he was writing. Or did he write Leviticus 19.2 that says, Be ye holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Whatever he wrote, it cost the scribes and Pharisees to have a crisis of conscience. And they slunk away one by one, starting with the oldest to the last, to the youngest. Then Jesus stood up and had this interesting redemptive dialogue with the guilty woman. By the way, what do you think she was feeling by now? Must have been feeling some, having some very deep, intense feelings, excruciating feelings. What do you think she was feeling? Do you think she was feeling shame? Do you think she was feeling embarrassed? Do you think she was feeling condemnation? Can you identify with all of those feelings? Shame, condemnation, um, guilt. Can you identify with that? When was the last time you felt that?
<laughs> Recently, I had a crisis of conscience. And I had all of those feelings. <laughs> and uh, I, I, had to, I had to come to God <laughs> and seek his face and seek his forgiveness. Just uh, and then, but then Jesus, when he stood up the second time from writing on the pavement, he uh, he must have looked around and saw that all of the scribes and Pharisees had walked away. And he said to the woman. Get down on your knees and repent. No, he didn't say that. What would you have said to her? He was stand there, standing there with the with a woman, one-on-one -on -one at this point. It says they were by themselves. It was one-on-one -on -one at this point. And Jesus said to her, where, where are those who are accusing you? Has, has, no one, has no one condemned you? And Jesus, and, and she said, no, Lord. No one. And then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Isn't that astounding? Jesus was not minimizing the seriousness of her sins by saying that. But again, Jesus saw her greater need. He reached past her guilt, her shame, and her condemnation when he said, he could have said, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. God manifested in the flesh. And I say to you, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Let me take you back to a very basic uh, a couple of verses that you know by memory, I'm sure. And that is to John 3, 16 and 17. 
Maybe I can quote it by heart. And where Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, now listen to this, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Have you ever thought this is why Jesus came to to condemn the world, to condemn you and I? He, he didn't have to. See, the world is already condemned. What condemns the world? What condemns men of sin? Jesus didn't have to come to condemn men of sin. If they, unless they had sinned and, and they had become callous, their own conscience condemned them. There's something within the moral nature of a man as God has created him that reacts to sin in his life. <coughs> so Jesus said, I'm not condemning you, neither do I condemn you. Your own conscience has been doing that. God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn us. But he sent Jesus into the world to save us, to forgive us. When our guilty conscience makes us break down in shame and feelings of condemnation. Somehow that, that opened a lot of doors of, of thinking for me. But I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to go to the, the last passage. And, uh, and it looks like I'm not going to be able to, um, to, to preach very much after these three passages. But maybe that's enough. But I want to go to uh, Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, and I'm just going to read two verses. Luke 23, verses 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Of course, you recognize that verse 34 records to us the first of the seven sayings that Jesus spoke during his six hours of suffering on the cross. Uh, it's a little bit difficult to discern exactly when 
Jesus spoke these amazing words of forgiveness. There are some commentators who indicate that, that it appears as though Jesus spoke them maybe several times. Was it when they stripped him of his clothing? When they, they, they took off his robe and his tunic, thereby stripping him of his dignity? And Jesus may have said, or he could have said, Father, forgive them. Or what is when they threw him on the old rocket cross and were driving the nails through his hands and his feet? And Jesus may have said, Father, forgive them. Or perhaps it was when they dropped the old rocket cross into the hole of that rocky hillside that they place, they call the they, they called the place of the skull that Jesus said, Father, Father, forgive them. It, it also could have been that when the religious leaders came by the cross, whacking their heads and ridiculing him, that he... Him who was the Lord of glory. And Jesus looked to the heavens and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In either case, whether he spoke at once or, 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 or several times, these words are amazing words of forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes to, to us through the atonement that Jesus wrought on the cross of Calvary. Well, I, I, what, I, what I want us to see this morning above everything else that God is a forgiving God. Does that come through these passages at all? I mean, holy God. Holy God who cannot look upon sin. Holy God, can I say, delights in forgiving men and women their sins. No, God doesn't delight in our sins. Our sins are an offense to him. They are repulsive to a holy God. They're obnoxious to God. But God doesn't begrudgingly offer forgiveness to us for our sins. Psalm 86.5 says, David said, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive sins. That caught my attention recently. Ready means eager.
I have a rhetorical question I'm going to close with this morning. Have, have, you, have you heard Jesus say to you those words that he said to the paralytic laying on that cot in that house in Capernaum? Have you heard him saying to you, son, daughter, thy sins are forgiven. All of thy sins. All of thy sins of the past. No, I didn't say past, present, and future. There's another whole discourse that relates to that. All of thy sins of the past are forgiven you. <laughs> what a what a wonderful pronouncement. Or do you wrestle with occasionally the thought or the fear, should I say? that God may still be holding some of your past sins, especially the worst ones, over your head. Oh, I, I remember so well when I was back in Sioux Lookout and I had a call from the hospital one day saying, telling me that Gilbert Mishimati is in the hospital here and uh, I need to come in and see him. I was, uh, I, was, uh, I was a chaplain at the two hospitals that were in Surogat at that time. So would I come in and see Gilbert? He has only a couple of days to live. See, we, I, didn't, I, I really didn't know Gilbert. I knew of him. I, I knew about him and, and, I, and that kind of thing. In fact, uh, his wife, were, were, Clara, was one of the first uh, Native Indian ladies that came to our, our house when she learned we were living there in Sioux Lookout. She was one of the first Christian Indian ladies that came to our house, and, and, and we became, became acquainted with her, and she became one of Edna's special friends. And so I knew about Gilbert, but I didn't know him personally. Gilbert was an alcoholic. He was a drunkard. He, and and in his, in, during his drinking, he, he would abuse his, his wife and abuse his sons. I knew that about him. But here he was in the hospital just a couple of days later. I walked into his room and I somehow was in had the, the impulse to be very straightforward with him. And I attempted to explain the, the way of salvation through, uh, by explaining to him that he can have the forgiveness of all of his sins, which he needs to have because he's going, when he dies, he's going, to, he's going to come before God and his sins are going to separate him 
for God. When I explained that to him, Gilbert laid there in his bed and didn't say a word. Very typical of Native Indian people. You could tell he was thinking, but he didn't say a word. Laid my hands on him, prayed for him, and walked out the door. The next day I came back and I said, Gilbert, have you thought about it? And this is the question he had. And I can understand why he had this question. He said, suppose, do I have to confess all of my sins? Suppose I can't remember them all. And I'm sure he couldn't. And I could say to him, Gilbert, you don't need to forgive, to, to remember all your sins. You can somehow just bring them the whole ball of wax, whatever, and, and, and hand them over to God so that he can forgive you. He didn't say anything for long moments, and I again prayed for him and walked out the door. And then it was Saturday, and it was, and then it was Sunday, and, and I had two services to take care of and preach. And uh, after the evening service, I went and walked in, and Gilbert was in a coma. And uh, I, I, but then I had understood in other situations that sometimes when somebody is in a coma, he can still hear. So I said to Clara, who was sitting there holding his hands, yes, the man that had abused her, misused her, was sitting there holding his hands. And, and so I, I said, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures that explains the way of salvation, which she translated. Gilbert understood English, but... Uh, of course, he, his, his mother tongue was still the best, so I said, would you translate these to, to Gilbert? And she did. And, and so then we quietly sat there and uh, waited. Suddenly, Gilbert said, Aha! And then he said it louder, Aha! And he said it again. And Clara said, he's saying yes. He's saying, he's saying yes, he wants Jesus. And we, we joined hands and prayed for him. And he went back into his coma. The next morning, I went back to the hospital, maybe about 6 or 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, walked into the room, and Gilbert was laying on his bed. He was dead. He, he had died at 4 o'clock that morning. But before he died, Clara started telling me, before he died, he came out of his coma. He looked around and saw Clara there and some of his six boys gathered around his bedside. And... Uh, he sat up and said, come, go where I'm going. And he laid down and died. 
I have no doubt in my mind that someday I'll see Gilbert in the portals of glory. Why? Because when he said, yes, I'm a sinner, when he confessed his sins, I've sinned, God said, all of your sins from your past are forgiven thee. I ask you again, have you heard that, those words? Let's stand. What can wash away my sin? God bless you as you contemplate that important message that song gives you. Yes, he will forgive all of your sins. Lord, we thank you for these stories, these accounts that we have in your word that reminds you that you are a forgiving God that because Jesus became our sin sacrifice, that you are able to forgive all of our sins. Thank you. I pray that that might ring in our minds throughout today, the coming days. In Jesus' name.